Hello and welcome back to Bible Studies with Russ. I appreciate you joining me here today. I appreciate your patience. I know the last few weeks we've had some sermons I have shared. We've had quite a busy time uh, just returning from the Lubbock Lectures uh, yesterday. And then prior to that we had uh, the Midwest Lectures and our Gospel Meeting. And so we're trying to get back into, I'm trying to get back to the swing of things here into our regular routine. And so we're can, beginning today a new series of, of lessons, at least a couple lessons anyway, looking at the question is, question of, are denominations scriptural? We think about this idea, the very word denom- denominate means to divide or is a division. You know, the religious world can be very confusing as we look around. You imagine for just a moment, to the best of your ability, if you are not a Christian and you're interested in become interested in religious matters, you start becoming interested in the Bible. And so you get in your car and you go for a drive and you decide to look around and see what churches are in the area in which you may consider attending or, or visiting to, to to learn more about them. And you come across the, in no particular order, the Methodist Church. You come across uh, a non-denominational church. Sometimes here in Oklahoma, we have the Life.Church, or LifeChurch.TV groups. You have various other names that go along with that. Then you have the Community Church. You have the Episcopal Church. You have the Assemblies of God. You have the, uh, you know, uh, the Baptists, you have the, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. There's so many different groups that are out there. How would you know which one you are to attend? And we think about for the person who is not a member, who is not religious or just becoming interested in religious matters, uh, they may unwittingly look at the Church of Christ as one of these other groups. As we'll talk about later, we'll see that while there are numerous religious groups, the Church of Christ we find described in the Bible is not one of the many denominations we find among us today. We think about the, the, all the religious, the religious world, and how confusing it can be when we look around. But should it be that way? Are denominations really what the Bible says God wants? We want to begin with a logical approach. Think about this very question. Can so many churches that are organized differently, teach and worship differently, really be pleasing in the sight of God? Name of this for a second, friends. If they're organized differently, why are they organized differently? Because any church that claims to be a church of any type would tell you that they follow the Bible, at least in some form or in some way. They wouldn't say that. I've never heard someone who's a member of any congregation say, uh, when, if they were to be asked a question, do you, do you use the Bible as the Bible your God? I've never heard anyone say no. I've never heard that. Uh, and why would you? But if the Bible is their guide, then why is one different from the other? How come you can have one religious body uh, on a street and have another religious body right next to it, and they believe and teach so differently? And what's interesting is sometimes these groups believe that they're both right. That it's just their methodology it just happens to be different. But is that really what God wants? Is God the author of confusion? Can so many churches, again, think about this, can so many churches that are organized differently, churches that some have 
quote, pastors. Some have uh, women pastors, for example. Uh, some have, uh, have the pastor or the preacher, and then they'll have deacons, but they don't have elders. We find this commonly in denominations. But the term pastor, which, again, we're getting, going to get way ahead of ourselves. We deal with this right off the bat. But the term pastor is used incorrectly so many times, and almost all the time, to my knowledge, in the denominational world. The term pastor is another term that's used for the office of an elder or the office of a shepherd or sometimes referred to as an overseer. More commonly, we use the term of an elder or a shepherd in the Lord's church. And the term pastor, is, it fits that same thing. It's used interchangeably. But what's interesting when we look in the Bible, we find that elders in the New Testament are to serve in a plurality, which means there's never just one. And so to say that there's one pastor in a church... Well, friends, is that biblical? No, they are to serve in plurality. There's always the elders or the overseers or the shepherds, never just the elder. But we'll come back to more of that later, uh, perhaps this time, maybe in the next study. But churches are organized differently. Churches that, are, that teach differently and worship differently. If you were to, again... Picture yourself as someone who's never obeyed the gospel in accordance to any group. And you're just interested in become interested in the Bible and you want to try to decide where you should attend, what, you know, what's the first place you should try out, so to speak. And you look at these churches around us today, and use that term very generically, and they're organized differently. And they also teach and they worship so much, so differently. You have some who, when they teach about salvation, they're so different from what the person next to them says, the requirements of it. And then you look at their worship service, and sometimes they're so vastly different. You have congregations that uh, have pianos and organs. You have congregations that have, uh, again, using that term generically, congregations. Uh, you have groups that use uh, a chorus or a choir and then you have those who have just a full band. And then you have those who have, even might say a little more confusion, who have the traditional worship. You have the contemporary worship. They all are so different. But can this, can all this difference, all this confusion, because it is confusing, that's why we have Bible tracts that exist today and lessons like this today discussing the very idea of why are there so many churches? Are denominations scriptural? That's the same concept, isn't it? The way things are done, organized, and in denominations can be confusing when compared to the Bible. Now, the Bible lays out God's organization of the church. It lays out how God desires to be worshipped. It lays out who are to be leaders and the qualifications of them. And also lays out who are to be the evangelist, who are to be the preacher, commonly is a phrase we use. Many different plans for salvation in denominations, many different styles and ideas concerning leadership. But can so much confusion, again, can it be pleasing in the sight of God? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Looking here, the Bible says, here the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God is not the author, or he is not the source of confusion. 
That means if there is a religious, if there is confusion in the religious world today, it's not because of God, it's because of man. Religious confusion exists because man has a misunderstanding about the Bible. Sometimes willfully, sometimes just ignorantly so. Sometimes it's just because that man follows what's you know what has been passed down to them, follows that tradition. Sometimes it's because man has a pride problem and wants to do things in a certain way, which is pleasing to him. When I say man, I'm in him. I really mean just mankind in general, men and women. And so divisions rise up. Groups, one group wants to worship God in this manner, include these things, and omit this. And another group rises up and wants to do this. And they create bylaws. They create creeds. They create catechisms and, and all these other things. When people ask, what denomination do you, do you attend? You know, it should break your heart. That should not be a question that's ever asked. Because the Lord purchased his church with his own blood. As Paul reminds us there in the book of Acts, we find that Peter is referenced as the rock. His, or not him, specifically I should say, his confession rather, is referenced as the rock of the, or the foundation in which the church is built. When Peter says, you're the Christ and the Son and the living God. Well, upon that very foundation, the church is built. And we hear that question, what denomination are you a member of? I'm careful to say, well, I attend the Church of Christ. I don't say, well, I attend the Baptist denomination, or I, or I don't say I don't I don't say I attend the Church of Christ denomination. I just simply say I, I attend the Church of Christ, the Church that belongs to Christ. Denomination means again, it means division. So we are asked, what division of the Church do you attend? Think about that very question. What division or what sect of the Church do you attend? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, chapter 1 here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 beginning in verse 10. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, we find these individuals were united in what they did as well. In Acts 2 and verse 40, the Bible says, as many other words, he testified and exhorted them to be saved from this perverse generation. And those who were glad to receive his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then those verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They, meaning they did this as a group, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What else did they do together in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Look at Amos 3 in verse 3, where the question is asked, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You know, can we walk with God if we are not in agreement with what his word teaches? Let's look again at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. He tells us we are to speak the same thing. You know, we can have differences when it comes to things of opinion. What time do you think that we should meet for Bible class on a Sunday morning? What time do you think we should meet for worship? Uh, you know, should we have the Lord's Supper prior to the sermon? Should we have it after the sermon? Uh, you know, how many songs should we lead? Uh, you know, you think about it in some churches of Christ, it's, you know, you have announcements, you have uh, two songs, a prayer, two more songs, a Lord's Supper, maybe one more song, the, the, the lesson, a closing, uh, the invitation song, and then maybe a closing song. 
And for some, that's, boy, that's almost book, chapter, and verse. Well, it's not. You know, that's not written in stone. That's a matter of opinion how many want to lead. But we have to speak the same thing when it comes to matters of doctrine. I don't, when I say we have to speak the same thing, I'm not saying that as if I'm the authority. Look at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. The Apostle Paul, the inspired man of God, says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. When you teach, you teach the exact same thing. You know when you go to one church and you visit, and then next week you, maybe you're traveling and visit another church, you should hear the same doctrinal truths, the same Bible principles taught in one location as you do the next. He says in verse 10, also it says, you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. No, no divisions meaning that we all agree and we're going to follow the word of God, and that's what we're going to teach and preach and nothing else. That we're going to omit willfully and gladly the traditions of men that have been passed down. You think about, for example, how many times you've heard the phrase, well, we've always done it this way. You know, in some ways it is correct. An, an example for maybe a local congregation who says, well, we don't want to meet at 945 because we always met at 930. We've always done it that way. Okay. But then you hear those who say, well, we don't want to take out, we don't want to remove the mechanical instruments. We want to keep them in because we've always done it this way. You know, history and matters such as that would actually show them to be incorrect. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he's referred to as many as the most uh, famous Baptist preacher. Sometimes people apply that to Billy Graham. I'm not remember if he was Baptist, so to speak, or not, or what denomination he uh, claimed to be a part of. Um, you know, he, I don't think he really cared, to be honest. But anyway, um, but, you know, Charles Spurgeon, he's, he's viewed as one of the most well-known uh, Baptist preachers. He's, he preached for a long time in England with one, I think, one of the largest, if not the largest, Baptist congregation over there. And you have those today who, in the Baptist denomination, not picking on them, just this is just one of many examples. We could pick many individuals from many different denominations. Um, but he t when he talked about uh, the mechanical instruments, he was against them. And all the years which he served as that preacher or that pastor, whatever term you want to use for him there, um, they never used mechanical instruments. And you have those in the Baptist church who say, well, we've always done this. Maybe in your local congregation, but as far as the Baptists go, that's not correct. You know, same go for the Methodists. That's not a part of their history either. You know, they're, when they're, quote, founding men who, who in reality did not want anything named after him. Uh, he wanted people to be referred to as Christians, but nonetheless, John Wesley <laughs> had a Methodist church named after him um, against his will. Uh, he also was opposed to mechanical instruments. And others, uh, you know, others as well. I forget some of the men now. I didn't prepare this. I'm remembering this off the top of my head as I think about it. Uh, but they were against those things. And yet you go in their denominations now that claim to be a part of them. You know, they go into a Baptist denomination, not all of them, but you go into some of them. They have bands. They all have mechanical instruments, to my knowledge, unless you're talking about the primitive Baptists, which, uh, to my knowledge, uh, they may use mechanical instruments, actually. I think they but they baptize for the remission of sins. But um, I said to say maybe not all Baptists use mechanical instruments, but for the most part, I say probably 95% do. Some of them have bands. You go to Methodist Church, they have mechanical instruments. And almost a full concert as part of their worship service. 
I say it to say this, that when people say that, well, we don't want to change because we've always done it this way, many times, friends, that's not true. History would say, no, that's inaccurate. We haven't always had mechanical instruments. Uh, you know, we haven't always allowed our members to have Bibles. The Catholic Church for a long time would not allow their members to have Bibles. They, changed their, they chained their Bibles to the, to, the, uh, to the lectern there because they taught, and I think many ways still do, that only the priest and those, those leaders in the Catholic Church could understand the Bible, that you, the, mem- you, the member, could not understand it. See, friends, that causes division. Those are things we're to avoid. We're to speak the same thing, have no divisions among you, and to be perfectly joined together, as he says there in verse 10. That we be of the same mind and in the same judgment. And as, as you look at verse 10, you'll find this idea of, of being the same over and over again, being united. You look at verse 11, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Now, he says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that that had baptized my own name, in my own name. Um, Think about this idea first. As I have a side note here, one, this shows a necessity of baptism as he talks about how these individuals are baptized. But what he points out here specifically for our, for our case, the point we're making is he was condemning them for saying, well, I am of this person or I'm of this person. They were creating different groups, different sects uh, there. In verse 12, I was saying, I am of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. And what's interesting, this is, the Apo- the, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says in verse 13, using himself as an example, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified with you? Meaning, was I crucified for you? He says, Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Meaning, were you baptized in my name? Well, no, you weren't. That's the point. It's a rhetorical question. No, that's not true. So why are you saying these things? Then he says in verse 14, he says, I think God that baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius. And why? Because in verse 15, he says, Lest anyone should say that I had baptized my own name, in my own name. He didn't want the people to become followers of him or become followers of Paul or of Apollo, or to be followers of him or of Apollos or of Cephas. Some are saying, I'm of Christ, but they're using it in a denominational sense there in verse 12, and he condemns that as well. Because they were using this, who they were baptized by, as a badge of honor. The important part was that you were baptized, not who did it. Because they were creating groups. And friends, that's how divisions, that's one way divisions can occur. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're, we're not going to get into all the various falsehoods of denominations. Our our purpose in this study is to point out that denominations just in general we could look at other look at individual denominations and point out their error but that's not our purpose today our purpose is simply to point out that to be divided in a way that brings that causes division uh, to divide in a way that causes denominations rather is sinful we're going to be divided we should be divided over what is wrong and what is right divided in the sense that we are separated from the world but not dividing among ourselves Philippians 2 and verse 2 says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Again, being of 
that oneness there, being like-minded there in verse 2, having the same love, love for one another, love for, for the Lord, love for the truth, uh, love for the lost, of one accord there in verse 2. Again, being what? Having that same purpose, that same drive, that same desire, and being of one mind, meaning they are thinking and acting and living in the same way. Not that they were just all walking around like robots, just doing the same thing, but they all followed the same teachings, the Word of God. The words of Christ. And so we think about our denominations scriptural. Well, think about all the division we've talked about already. How they are, how they are organized differently, each one. How they teach differently, each one. How they worship differently, each one. How they have different plans of salvation. Uh, different plans, you know, different... Uh, when it comes to worship, for example, you know, when it comes to giving, denominations are, are vastly different. Especially when you, and just in general, in the sense that how they how they are to give how they give back in comparison with the word of God says, but also how they give back in comparison to one another. And the Lord, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, we are to give lay by well, we are lay by in stores so we can give back on the first day of the week. The Apostle Paul tells us that, and we have do so we are to do so as we have prospered. Yet, you know, there are those out there today, denominations, who make you sign an agreement that you're going to give a certain amount each year. And if you do not do that, they will take you to court. Now, I, I remember in Arkansas, I saw an ad in an uh, article in a paper about an individual being sued by, by the congregation, which he was a member of, or maybe, maybe past tense now. They were suing him because he, they felt like he owed them money. He didn't fulfill his obligation about what he was going to give them that year. Friends, denominations are vastly different. And as we close here today, we're going to finish out next time. Our denomination scriptural. Is such division scriptural? We look at the Bible, friends, we come away with one simple answer. No, they are not. Because God, to put it quite simply, is not the author of confusion. <laughs>